on YouTube. So as of now, being recorded. Simple. Hello everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year NYPD veteran of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And today I have a guest named retired Sergeant Peter Panuccio, who actually was a 37-year veteran of the NYPD. 39. Oh, 39. Oh my God, he's even crazier than I thought. But what we're going to talk about today has been a lot of changes going on of late with the NYPD. Um, it all started out with, uh, well, it started out with a lot of things. The disbandment of anti-crime, um, the diaphragm law, uh, and the hits continue. Crime is, is uh, running rampant in regards to homicides and shootings. The only reason the other seven majors aren't up is because there's not enough people on the street to be victims. But it's a real problem, and each it seems that each week or each month, the city council, directed by the governor of the state, comes down with new rules for police officers, but yet the posture towards criminals is that they're getting arrested and being released almost the same day. Now, the population of the city, m many of the people that live in the city now are outside the city. So it hasn't hit the entire populace of what this really means in the long term. But this is going to be a disaster once the city gets over this COVID thing and the people that have moved out of the city start coming back to the city. One of the things I, I wanted to show you, and uh, Pete, I want to share this, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen this video, but this is a, a video of some an organized team of robbers um, attacking a store down in Soho. And this was, was very common in the late 80s and the 90s that where they had these robbery teams that go, would go into stores and just basically decimate these stores. In this incident, they took um, merchandise that was worth over $160,000. Now, you may say, oh, these stores have insurance. That's, that's neither here nor there. What this is showing is disorder beyond belief because these guys fully know that if they are arrested, they'll be released. And there's basically no penalties for their behavior. So, and also this type of crime would have been addressed in the past through anti-crime teams. And now there are no anti-crime teams to address this. So it's gonna be, it's gonna exacerbate this whole problem. Pete, thoughts on this? I like the guy standing. Hang on one second, Pete. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Honor McGregor in working security there. That would be an improvement on the situation. He's knocking people out. Um, I have to say, when you watch that video, I like the security guy standing there with his hands up, like all is calm, made, you know, 
please remain calm. This is absolute insanity. I, I we're even seeing the stuff that we saw from the eighties. You know, it brings back phrases like wilding, uh, stinging. I remember in the eighties when I was in anti-crime, you lock these kids up, robbery, stuff like this. You know, what are you doing? Going out stinging, you know, and uh, you jump ahead three and a half decades and you, you have these stores, especially down like in first, um, the sixth, the ninth precinct. You're talking millions of dollars of merchandise in those stores. And, you know, it, 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 this it's like a pirate boarding party. They just come in there, they overwhelm the defenses and they clean it out. And they know it, that nothing, even if a cop came walking by and grabbed one of them, Charge him with a grand larceny. Okay, great. You get the desk appearance ticket at the station house. Right. Thank you. Thank you, criminal justice reform laws. So it makes enforcement a moot point. I mean, we're spinning our wheels in the police department trying to stop this kind of behavior. There's no consequences for their actions. And it just it, it seems to be getting as crazy as it gets every day with new laws coming out. Each week, they up themselves yet again. Well, I think the the um, evidence of that is, and I, again, I could share the screen with some of the things we've seen. Um, here's a something from the city council here, where um, you could see this is some of the laws they're addressing. Uh, they uh, city council announced a comprehensive. Um, plan to introduce a bill that would reduce the NYPD's footprint in the city, improve police discipline, and increase accountability. I love that term footprint. Well, you like, yeah, I'll give them a footprint. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it has this negative con connotation towards the cops police. Are bad. Make no mistake about it. Law enforcement is bad. Cops are bad. That's the agenda of these Bolsheviks that we have in the city council. Um, everybody's woke. Cops are bad. And uh, that article, that was from the Gothamist. That article, I actually started getting a pain in my head when I was reading it. When you read some of the specifics, number one, uh, getting rid of qualified immunity for police officers. You would have to be completely insane to become a police officer without qualified well, immunity. Well, uh, Pete, uh, describe to our fans what qualified immunity is. And basically, it's, it, it's legal protections for the officer when they're doing their job. It could be any number of a host of things. You know, it could be from getting into a gunfight. Let's say you punch a guy and, you know, you knock him out, he falls, you know, whatever. He has injuries, he sues. He turns around, sues the city. Ghetto lottery, suing the city, suing the city, city. suing the city is, you know, it's a well-practiced, well-honed pastime amongst lawyers in New York City. They know you file a lawsuit. The city's going to give you 5,000 bucks just to go away. But if you have a case where you have a serious injury and these guys start smelling money, first thing that lawyer is going to do, without qualified immunity, the first thing that lawyer is going to do is going to do an, uh, an accurate report. Oh, Pinuccio. Wow, he owns a weekend home out in the Hamptons. I don't, but I'm just, you know, whatever it is, whatever property you own. This guy's coming after you personally. They are going to ruin your life and your family's life. Um, and that's just the start of it. God forbid you wind up shooting somebody. 
uh, killing them in the performance of your duty. Um, it's insanity. It, it, it's it wasn't that formally um, uh, Section 50K of the general, general municipal law that covered indemnified police officers in the line of duty as long as they were acting reasonably. That was the yes. law, right? So now they're talking about this at a new level of qualified immunity. It's almost like an insurance policy because as we know, being police officers for, for decades, that you take huge risks being a police officer, huge risks with your own life and other people's lives. And yeah. the least that the government agencies can do is to indemnify you where if you do get sued by these sue happy lawyers across this nation that you should be indemnified and the city should pay the damages as long as you were acting reasonably and that was the whole the whole point was that word reasonable yeah well the, the people we're dealing with are unreasonable and uh i've seen this yeah you know, it's when you read these articles and, and you follow what the, the agenda that these people push one of the things i've seen over the last year year and a half Police officers should have to purchase their own insurance. I'm like, uh, I shake my head. I, I should have to pay for my own insurance, you know, indemnity insurance to be a police officer. Why would I become a police officer to begin with? Um, this is the kind of stuff yeah, you slowly, it keeps creeping in, they keep pushing it. Somebody picked up on it. The next thing it becomes a rallying cry. But Pete, you know, one of the crazy things is that if a doctor in California botches a surgery, a doctor in New York is not held responsible for it. But if a, if a police officer in another city, i.e. the George Floyd incident, does something egregious, police officers throughout the country now must pay for the sins of that officer. Oh, we're not dealing with rational people. And, you know, if you look at the statistics, I think it was, I don't know, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but maybe a thousand police-involved shootings last year where someone lost their life. A couple of them, like I said, the George Floyd thing, which was not a shooting, but a man did lose his life there. But, you know, a small handful of these things become major issues, either through proper police procedure or whatever it was we're talking a small handful maybe a dozen at top and they just dominate the news cycle for weeks on end you're talking about this even with the total number of shootings how many people are killed by doctors every year due to malpractice right probably, th probably thousands i think it's well over a hundred thousand people i think it's, it's an astronomical number Yet let's focus on, you know, the the face of government per se, is the police officer. Uh, let's carry on about that instead. It's crazy because, you know, police officers are put into situations where they're under extreme duress. Yet society expects one hundred percent correct response. And what is the correct response when you're being shot at? I mean, if you mention the uh, 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 case, the Breonna Taylor case, for example, they were serving a warrant and they were shot at and they returned fire. And all of a sudden she became a cause celeb for the entire nation. That, oh, uh, yeah. You know. But when you look at the details of what went on in that case, we're not talking about an angel here. I mean, she's involved with drug dealers for years. And in 2016, 
they found the body in the trunk of a car that she had rented for her boyfriend. Now, that can be problematic, you know, when people find stiffs in your trunk, but, you know, hence the, especially guys like us, we tend to look a, a little askance at that. But, you know, she hadn't been a nurse since that time when she got fired. And you think you're talking about Mother Teresa here. No, well, you know, the press, people. the press is also responsible for reporting false information, which they do with such regularity as that I think you, know, you could Bill, say that journalism is dead in this country. Oh, it's gone. Here's a case in point. Last week in Times Square, some jackass is out dancing in the middle of Times Square, and the cops come walking up to him. Like, Yo, get out of the street. And this guy pulled his car off. And specific, I guess he was looking for his TikTok moment. I don't know. But as he's walking back to the car, the cop sees a 45 caliber handgun, uh, which is a big-ass gun, in his waistband. And this is all recorded on the on the body cams. And, and you, you see this guy, he winds up taking that gun out. And he didn't aim it at the cops. He didn't shoot at the cops, thank God. Um, the cops got him on the ground. He was arrested. And, you know, that was the end of it. Uh, you know, good job done by these cops. The point being, that went bad in less than a second. That's how long a cop has to decide before he uses his firearm. Those actions, that maybe that whole engagement would have taken two, three seconds between the first shot and the time this guy went down, will be investigated ad infinitum by lawyers, by investigators, by, by the media for months on end. The cop has about a second, maybe, to make that decision. And, uh, you know, the cop, say he did have to fire his weapon and he fires off two shots. One hits the curb, one goes flying down 7th Avenue and nails a hot dog vendor on 38th Street and 7th. Guess what? Without qualified immunity, you're done. You're yeah, you, you That's get great. Sued. Absolutely. Guy shooting at you. And you know, the other thing is, is that uh, I don't know what race that guy was that pulled the gun on the cops or had the 45 in his waistband, but the cops can also be accused of implicit bias if he's the wrong race, you know, and... Uh, which is another outrageous uh, thing that the it, academics have invented, you know? I don't know. When we stuck to common sense policing, we didn't have these issues, okay? When you see a guy dancing in the street, I don't care if you're white, black, or Hispanic. I don't care if you're from Mars. Yo, jackass, get out of the street, all right? That's my job. My job as a police officer on a football is the time hey, Pete, Pete, I don't think you read the memo because now... CCRB, the acronym, the acronym is not FADE, it's FADO. And you just violate one of the premises of uh, the precepts of CCRB. The O now stands for offensive language. And I was so offended by you saying that word. Now you're going to lose three days for that. You know. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> Please take your Vaudeville Act off of broadway and take it into the theater where it belongs no no, but pete one of the things that people don't understand that write up these uh these rules say for policing is that your voice sometimes and using profanity can save your life and de-escalate de a situation without so a doubt now an officer has to worry about maybe he used some words that ccrb investigators would be offended by you know just unbelievable yeah you know it's 
when you look at the people that work and see, I got it, you know, I was never really big into Twitter and any of that stuff until recently. And what really grinding my gears on May 4th, a couple of years ago, um, the Star Wars community always does this thing, may the fourth be with you and all the crap. These clowns down at TCRB, a bunch of 20-somethings, put out this flyer that says, may the fourth be with you. Like it's, if you feel you've been subjected to unreasonable search and seizure, violating your Fourth Amendment rights, you know, please contact CCRB. The whole point was they were making a joke of it. Yeah. I fired back a comment at them on Twitter. And, you know, the trolls that dwell there immediately start attacking me. And then, just as an aside, I said, and by the way, as long as you've got plenty of time to stand around and pose for your Star Wars posters, how about you take the American flag and hang it properly instead of being thrown on top of a file cabinet? Right. That was it. That was it. Every troll, every little freak jumped on me. I, I mean, just nonstop. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some bad language, but, I, but what I could do with my American flag and, uh, you know, this is a city office. It's Pete, I, I, I wanna I wanna bring up some of the new um some of the new rules. This is the uh can you see the disciplinary system? Yeah, the matrix. Yes, this is the disciplinary matrix. And it seems that they're let's see if we can go down to um uh stop question and frisk, um and even cause stops, but it goes it's a fifty-four page document and I, I, over here, I guess I just passed by it. Expo it explains the new acronym. The new acronym, the, the new acronym is uh, excessive force, abuse of authority, discourtesy, and offensive language, known as FATO. And all of those will be investigated by CCRB. And CCRB is an independent agency with absolutely no police experience whatsoever. So I don't know what their investigators, what their backgrounds are going to be. But they're going to be the police experts that are going to be there, ready, willing, and able to take days from cops. Yeah, basically what it is is you need a college degree. And most of the people that are hired, they're hired directly out of college. They are, quote, unquote, investigators, okay? They couldn't find themselves in a phone booth. But they're now judging you based on your actions. Right. And, uh, you know... For most of these people, a bad day for them is when the L train isn't running out to Bushwick or whatever, you know? Right. And I'm like, it, it's absolute. I'm glad I don't go down there and, you know, that I'm retired. I'm glad I hadn't been down there in quite a few years because I would really, you know, I would have a problem with these people investigating me. And I, Beto, yeah, I would be using some bad language with them. I really don't care anymore. But here's some of the statutes that um, conviction of conduct prescribed by New State law or analogous statute of another state or federal law that is classified as a felony. Well, that was and always has been termination if you were convicted as that. But what we're concerned is, is, is you know, for example, a stop, maybe making a, a stop question and frisk and them saying maybe, or here, here's, here's a big one, the use of excessive force. No. What is excessive force in regards to the situation where the force is being used? And will someone 
who's a CCRB investigator be qualified to make that that call, make that decision? Well, I don't know what gives them, because you don't really even know. I mean, who overlooks what goes on at CCRB? If you had an ombudsman looking at CCRB, say it was an experienced police officer, he would tread these people. Um, their judgments, their definitions of, of what constitutes anything. You know, it, 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 it's a sad looking crew down there. Let's, let me put it that way. Um, of people that get offended about just about everything. So I don't know. And what, what's happened now with this matrix and the city council, the way they're changing, we're giving these people tremendous power over the police officers now to make their lives miserable. Um, I couldn't have operated in this environment that we're in now. No, I couldn't um, have either. There's no, no way. But Pete, you he, know what amazes me about this whole thing is that there is almost zero pushback from the brass of the police department. In fact, Shea, who I, I, I like, uh, Commissioner Shea, but he welcomed this uh, discipline matrix. Now, is he just saying that to keep his job or does he really believe this? I find this to be horrendous. When you're talking about they're going to just take three days from a cop for cursing at somebody, uh, how do you welcome that? Is that um, is that going to make a more professional force? I don't know. Uh, and I don't no. know if people that aren't police understand that. I'm not just saying cops should be allowed to curse at people for no reason. But in the heat of a, say, deadly force situation or, or fight situation, surely using that kind of language shouldn't result Without in, a doubt. in losing days. And in this particular set, I mean, he's ceding a tremendous amount of his power to enforce discipline in the PD. He's given it to people that are outside the department. You know, if you look at some of the stuff that's with the, with the reduce the footprint uh, initiative that's going on, why even have a police commissioner anymore? I, I mean, that's, it seems to be that they just want to strip this guy well, Pete, going right along with that is now the community is going to have a say in appointing the commanding officer of their precinct. Now, is UPS asking for input from the community? Is FedEx, is you know Amazon asking for input from the community on who should run the office? I find this to be outrageous. No, the police department is probably the most competent governmental organization, in, at least in New York City. I mean, if you look at some of the other, look at the the teachers' union. Oh my God, the teachers. Look at look at some of the organizations. I always tell people this. I says compared to some of the other city agencies, the NYPD is, is like a paradigm of efficiency. Yes, and people don't realize that within that agency, there are consequences for your actions if certain procedures aren't followed, if things aren't done. Um with waste, uh, with inefficiency. And you go to some of these other city agencies and it's just out of control. You know, you're lucky people show up to work, but um, they're not gonna stop. This pushes on. I would be like, hey, listen, I think the police commissioner is the guy who should make that determination in conjunction with the borough commander they know the players. They know who the strong leaders are, um, which is merit should be the one of the driving issues of 
how we pick a precinct commander, somebody with demonstrated ability, somebody that's, you know, good with the community, somebody that can think fast on his feet. Um, merit and accomplishment does not seem to be in the equation anymore. And uh, this could lead to, this opens up a whole can of worms. But you know, Pete, going along with that is that uh, they were told in no uncertain terms that if they didn't accept these recommendations, for example, was the um, Department of Investigation report on the summer's riots. And they were told if they didn't accept some of the DOI's recommendations, they may as well walk out the door and resign or retire. So that sounds like a, uh, a despot that would say that. We're not looking for your opinions or pushback you could either accept these recommendations. And if you read the DOI report on the um, Summers riots, it was a total, it was ridiculous. Hit, it was a total hit job written by morons. Yeah. I, um, you know, like I said, we straddle two different centuries here. In our prior careers in the 80s and 90s, there were some periods of civil strife. You had the Crown Heights riot and Washington Heights riots. Uh, Tompkins Square Park, and those riots were put down when the powers that be said that this is going to end. Those riots ended, and they were put down, and they were put down forcefully. It was not pretty, okay? But you had situations where two or three days, whole neighborhoods were burning up and rioting and shooting, and uh, I believe it was Ray Kelly in the first one. Um, I'm not sure about it. Yeah, it probably was Washington Heights also. Uh, Brown was the police commissioner. And like his moniker at the time was out of town, Brown. He was out of town. And uh, they dallied for two or three days. And finally, Ray Kelly was the first step back then. And he said, that's it. This is over. And the NYPD moved in. And we didn't have the specialized training that they do today. Uh, we had task force. That was about it. And the NYPD moved in mass. And you know what? People's heads got cracked. People got arrested. People went through the system. People went into the system and stayed in the system. We let them rot there for a couple of days to keep them out of the flow. And uh, that's tried and true operating procedure, you know? Right. Is it harsh? Well, yeah, well Pete, harsh. Pete, they did it just this past summer when they overtook City Hall Park and they had enough of that nonsense, they finally said, all right, let's take back the park. And they took it back in like no time at all. Billy, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, was, I was right towards the end of my career there. And one of the wonderful things that we have now is the domain awareness system, which ties us into all these different cameras. And I was out on something. I got back to the office and, and the guy in the wheel said to me, you got to watch this. And I'm going to tell you what. You see this crowd in the park, it was homeless people mixed in with some of these, uh, I don't even know what you want to call Protesters, them. Protesters, I guess. <laughs> scouts. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this wave of blue comes around the corner of the park. It look, they look like Roman centurions with shields up, sticks. They went through them like Sherman went through Georgia. I mean, they plowed straight through, and they didn't stop. They went for about six blocks to like up to the courthouse on Center Street. They just plowed them under. And you know what was cool about the whole thing? Is that the cops knew what they were doing. They didn't stop the fight. They just kept going. But 
as the follow-up crew was coming through there, they actually took the time. They knew who the homeless people were. They were very decent with them. Like, you know, hey, we're coming in to clean up. You got to go. There was no carrying on with homeless people. The, uh, um, I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, airbags, you know, all these little insurrectionists that were down there. When they finally got to the end, there was about six of them left stomping their feet. And what was even worse is the cops just ignored them and left. They were so angry. Like, you know, they had their hissy fit. And nobody got hurt. I don't even think that many people, I don't think they even arrested anybody. Maybe two or three people. They plowed through them and it was done. And that with the rest of the world and what the media needs to understand that, you know what? This is not a pretty business that we're in. Use of force is ugly. Use of force was ugly in 1863 during the draft riots when we had to really burn the city down. Use of force has been ugly in every incident since then. That's the way it is. There are people in this world that are not going to go along with the program. They're going to be violent. They're going to hurt other people. And you know what? When you have groups of them, they need to be put down. Absolutely. And uh, I'm sorry, going up to some of them, oh, excuse me, sir, would you please vacate this corner? No, that's not going to work. And Dude, I uh, just want to give a shout out to some of our, um, sure. our people on the live chat. MC's Audio, QBear51, Rebecca Hicks. Joshua, how are you, buddy? Um, 90Z Patriot, Mark DeSimone, and Dawn Marie. Thank you guys for uh, listening. And, uh, you know, this is a big problem in New York City. I just want to bring up something also, Pete, that uh, and get your, uh, get your opinion. Look at her. Look at this right here. Oh, God. She is um, talking about reducing not just reducing but getting rid of the police footprint in new york city that uh to totally actually get rid of the police uh i just don't know where she went to school where she learned that and where she thinks that uh, i'm sorry this is all getting messed up there but she actually is recommending that the police uh and here's here's another one john jay college um did a research project on how to reduce violence without the police. Again, where are these people here? Here's their agenda here. Uh, they introduce what their points are, frame the agenda, major strategies. And some of the things that they, they recommend are things like um, crime prevention through environmental design, building parks, green spaces, lighting, of course, bringing more money into the neighborhood, giving people money for doing nothing. Uh, youth programs, which I agree with, that's a good a way to get the kids off the street and get them involved in something else. Um, gun control, but the gun control was specifically designed to uh, control people that legally obtain guns. Yes. Maybe they don't understand that the people that are shooting each other get illegal guns, you know. But it was all these pretty pie-in-the-sky liberal policies that I would like to ask them, have they tried them in Chicago? Have they tried them in Baltimore? Have they tried them uh, in Detroit, where crime is just totally off the hook? Because now that they're trying them in New York, we're seeing the results in a very short period of time. The violence has just spiked beyond belief. And I always remember when I was on a job, I, I, I was told that whoever takes over this CompStat thing 
when it starts turning back the other way because we knew it was inevitable for it to turn back the other way. And it always did. And they're going to they're going to lose everything. But yet now it's tolerant because it's being caused by the mayor and the governor. Yeah, well, you know, right after they stopped, uh, when they disbanded anti-crime, uh, 4th of July weekend, the guy says, yeah, this should be glorious. They swung back in on the morning of the 5th. In Manhattan North that night, just in Manhattan North alone, we had 22 shootings. I said, that's got to be a record for Manhattan North in one night, even for the bad old days back in the 80s and 90s. And this is the example. And these people can carry on. Every time I hear somebody say, oh, we're the safest big city in the world, I want to vomit. I want to scream. One thing they cannot hide is the number of people getting shot, number of people going to the hospital, winding up in morgues. They can carry on about, oh, we made this amount of gun powers this year. Well, that's great. 90% of everybody gets caught with a gun, gets released at arraignment, all right? We're wasting our time here. You think these people are going to stop? No, the guy knows, all right, let's spend a couple hours in jail and I'm, I'm out. But how can you ask your cops again and again to try and take guns off the street? But a lot of these knuckleheads don't realize it's a potential gunfight every time you go to take that gun off of somebody. That can go bad in a second. Now, imagine doing this without qualified immunity, but I think they made, I, I forget, it was somewhere around 2,300 gun columns last year. That's 2,300 times this chance for a shootout to occur. It will happen in a second. You're not supporting any of these people. You're not supporting these cops should it go bad. Um, and, and then you got to, you know, and then even worse, because it's all in your body cam, you call somebody the F word or a bad word during the course of scuffling with them, some little jackass down in CCRB that, you know, <laughs> oh, a bad word, you know, good, great gun days. collar. You're also losing three days. Let me take three days. Yep. Uh, yeah, this is from the city council. Um, and they're following the edict from uh, Governor Cuomo. And you could see some of these things. Uh, in fact, here's the thing it says. Uh, Attorney General Letitia James announced that she was suing Mayor Bill de Blasio and the NYPD over the police department's blatant use of excessive force and misconduct during the George Floyd protest. I, I, I'm not sure, but I think there were 400 cops injured during that blatant yes. overuse of force. You know, um, These are the, some of the things that we're dealing with from this, these progressive politicians that don't understand policing at all. You also have to remember something. But a lot of these people are making complaints. You know, what's your complaint? Oh, he hurt my feelings. You know, the right. cops said bad words to me. Bad words to you? I got news for you. Back during Crown Heights, if I told you to get out of the street and get off the block and you didn't move, you're going to get cracked, all right? It's harsh, but you know what? I'm not out of here to play games. We're putting down a riot. And a lot of, a lot of attention was, was, was pointed at one cop who shoved a woman. Right. As the cops are marching down the street, they're not there to stop and have a discourse with you about what your fields are about the police department or George Floyd. Get off the street. It's as simple as that. There was absolutely no support from the mayor or anybody else in that matter. These cops were not given great direction as to what was expected of them. 
And at the end of the day, then you got these clowns out there taking a knee with them. I'm like, what is wrong with you? And uh, we're not out here to take sides. Or to well, look you know, cool. Pete, one of the things, too, is that uh, the police department even gets criticized when they use police tactics that work. For example, um, at a demonstration by the Brooklyn Bridge, they used a technique called kettling, which basically they, separates the groups where they don't have contact with each other. You know, they got, they got, they got a lot of crap for that. Oh, why did they use that? I guess what? Because it worked. And that's police. You're supposed to stop the the riot or disassemble the troublemakers. And that's what they did. And they still got shit for that. I'll tell you what, if you followed some of these people on some of their websites or their Twitter feeds and crap like that, peddling drives them insane. <laughs> it makes them absolutely insane. That started back with the critical mass when we had these huge crews of bikes you know, 1,500, 2,000 bicycles pedaling around Manhattan. And uh, I forget his name at the moment, the chief of uh, Manhattan South. Uh, uh, he wound up becoming the chief of ESU. He oh, was... Patel. Patel? I mean, Patel. Oh, my God. They hated this guy. They hated him. He was worse than Hitler, as far as they were concerned, because I was thinking out of the box. And you know what? When those orange nets came out, people got kettled. The group kept split up, make them more manageable. Nobody got hit. Nobody got knocked off their bikes. Right? They hated him. So you mentioned the word kettle to them, and, and they go ballistic. But you know what? There comes a point, yeah, there's a certain amount of protest allowed. I, I get all this. This was not legitimate protest back during what went on with, with George Floyd. Um, you know, when you add in the violence, the looting, and this is supposed to be accepted behavior now. Let, let people vent, let them have it. No, it's not acceptable behavior. Not acceptable behavior to law-abiding citizens, people that pay taxes. Nobody, people shouldn't have to worry about walking into anarchy. I watched them on video, uh, just got into work one night, and it was when the riots first started. And they, I could see them, on the cameras, and they were moving into my neighborhood. You know, I called my doorman, called my wife. I said, listen, don't let anybody out of the building. This crowd is moving north, and they hit my neighborhood. There's a lot of stores in this neighborhood that never reopened, didn't recover. Bad enough you're dealing with the, with the lockdown restrictions. They got annihilated by this pack of locusts that moved through the neighborhood and stripped everything bare. But we're supposed to, you know, oh, God forbid the cops should move in and actually use force to stop this. Well, one it's, of the things that I, I didn't understand is that a lot of people watched the same thing that I watched and were trying to tell me what a peaceful demonstration it was. Not peaceful. Right. And I said, well, there was billions of dollars worth of damage to buildings in, in way of fires and, you know, just destroying stores. How was that? peaceful i have a hard time and then also 400 cops were injured there was there was a lot of organization organization behind this too delivering pallets of bricks into the areas that they were going to demonstrate the soft touch demonstrated by the police department by orders of the mayor so these things i mean they should all be mentioned to letitia james with this ridiculous lawsuit letitia james would be very happy be very proud of me actually we were out one night in the midst of this stuff, we're all in uniform. 
and we made a left turn onto Broadway. And we drove into, I was absolutely stunned. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, there was four of us in the car. We made the left down Broadway. And there's literally hundreds of people just within a one, one and a half block area, all these high-end stores. There was cars on the sidewalk, no license plates on them. Every store, there were cars like pulling out that was scraping the sidewalk that was so loaded with shit. And the guy who was driving me, he's like, what do we do? He says, what do we do? He says, we keep going. I says, what are we going to do? Four of us. I says, there's got to be 500 people on this one block. Okay. Uh, you know, we made sure that, you know, as it turns out, the department had uh, details of cops that were moving across town with each block. But as soon as they hit one block, they just took off and went, you know, a couple of blocks further east or further west. I'd never seen anything like that. Just all, and nobody. They, I mean, we drove into it. They knew exactly who we were, and they were like, "Hey, what's up, bro?" No consequence. You know, Pete. One of the things I wanted to touch upon, uh, and I feel you for that stuff. Like those stories are uh, horrendous. What became of a police department? But now when we talk about reducing the police department's footprint, what they're talking about is and basically giving the money that's meant to the police department to social services. And they talk about these violence interrupters, which, oh, are, which are social workers that will go and intervene in disputes between groups, say gangs. I don't think they fully understand that that itself is a pretty dangerous job to go and be an intermediary between uh, two violent gangs. Another thing that they want to have the police department not do any longer is responding to EDPs, uh, oh boy. which is emotionally disturbed persons for you non-police personnel. Also one of the most dangerous jobs a police officer can go on. And if it was a, a very simple EDP job where it was a non-violent person yeah, okay, once you find that out, you can have a social worker take care of it, and the police department would, would be happy to get rid of having to do that because how many hours are spent cops sitting in hospitals uh, for 8, 10, 12 hours waiting for an EDP to get admitted, C correct? Oh, easy. And I mean, they'd be very, very happy not to have to do that. They also just came out with this thing that they want to take vehicle accidents away from the police department and give it to the Department of Transportation. But what they don't understand is some vehicle accidents, a pretty decent percentage of them, have to do with criminality, whether it was a DWI crash, someone fleeing from a robbery or fleeing from something. How do you have the Department of Transportation investigate this? How many accidents start out as accidents and turn into violent disputes? People that, that eat too. the hell out of each other unless they, they intend to make the Department of Transportation police officers, but then why would you take it away from already sworn police officers and give it to newly sworn police officers from a different agency? Yeah, I don't think they really address the issue totally or even bother to look into the issue totally because uh, you would have to make changes to state law, uh, to the CPL, criminal procedure law, to the VTL. Not like just anybody can go out and do an accident report. Um, 
yeah, and these these they the half-assed, they throw these things out there, and it's see what sticks to the wall. And uh, but they're trying. No, they are hundred percent trying. Look, school safety. I mean, school safety really was is under the NYPD's umbrella, but yet they they weren't cops. I mean, they could take them totally away from the um, NYPD. No, but school safety prior to the NYPD taking it over was a disaster. It was a total disaster of an agency. We took it over. We provided good management, good supervision, good hiring practices, and it became a very effective agency. Um, they don't take that into account. They like, they, we just don't want these people in our schools. Same with the Department of Transportation with the Brownies. That was a mess when it first started, uh, when we took it over. In a couple of years, it went, same thing, it wound up becoming a very effective organization. Um, I knew some people that worked over there. They couldn't be happier that the NYPD took over that organization because it was a lot of good management, good supervision, uh, hiring practices changed substantially. A lot of bad apples were weeded out. But these are well-functioning subcomponents of the NYPD. Let's get rid of them. You know, well, I think it, it makes no sense. I think it's because they're trying to take that part of the budget and give it to someone else, give it to someone that's not, doesn't have the word police in their name. You know, and I yeah, but you know that, what? We have institutional memory. We have memories going back, dealing with the stuff thirty or forty years. Most of the people that propose this crap are only in their twenties and thirties, whatever. They weren't around yet for the years of bad management, of extreme violence, of you know. So to them, because I try and tell people, they if you tell people how violent New York City was at one time, in like like in Brooklyn North or up in the three four or whatever. Oh, no way. That's not real. Oh, yeah, it was real. Same way that these agencies that we are now running in the NYPD, you want that money, wants horrendous city agencies to deal with. Well, Pete, one of the things we're uh, on the Police Off the Cuff podcast tomorrow night at 7, we're interviewing uh, retired Detective Randy Jurgison, who wrote The Circle of Six. And I was looking through the notes in the book in 1972, the two, three, two, five, two, eight, and the three, two had 500 murders, just those four precincts. Yep. In fact, they had like 85 to 90% of all the murders in Manhattan. So could you imagine four precincts having 500 murders today? But you know, the big thing, and I just want to comment about this is that they're showing a reduction in crime in the seven majors in 2020. But the, one of the biggest reasons for that is because half the population or more left the New York City. So they weren't around to become crime victims or to make yeah, well, police it, reports. One of the things that was, it was a staggering uh, statistic that came out uh, probably in the fall, several hundred thousand change of address forms filed with the post office. A lot of them in neighborhoods where people could afford to leave. So a lot of these people are gone. So, you know, your you target rich environment and the fact that you have the lockdowns, that's going to lower the numbers. But what makes me laugh and what used to piss me off, you know, being a squad boss, everybody was concerned about the numbers of grand larcenies because grand larcenies was in the seven ages. If you could drive grand larcenies down, 
Then that overall seven mages comes down and they can crow. Oh, we've had a crime reduction. I'm like, oh, stop with your silly nonsense. <laughs> you know, if they really wanted to go with some serious crime reduction, instead of a thousand dollars as the threshold for grand larceny, raise it to five, raise it to 10. Guess what? Your numbers will plummet. Uh, to me, that's a little unrealistic in that that's the same number when I was a rookie cop in 1981. It's the same number now, 40 years later. I, I mean, you know, these well, things here. One of the things were back in the um, in the 80s, they established the the RIP program, the robbery investigation. Extremely program. effective. Ex- extremely, extremely effective. But the other thing was the criteria for your precinct to get a RIP back then was you had to get over 100 robberies a month. Yes. And if you didn't get that, you didn't get a RIP unit. You know, you may be able to designate a couple of detectives in your squad to investigate robberies. But I was in a 2-4 rep first. We had 12 detectives. And then I got transferred to the 2-3, and we also had 12 detectives and a sergeant just investigating robberies. And as robberies went down in number, they started pulling detectives out of the rip units. Next thing you know, it wasn't didn't have their own boss assigned to rip. Then they made it RAM, robbery representation module. Then it became Bram. Bram, burglaries and robberies, because... They did such a good job and dropped the, uh, the, the, yeah, the robberies down. The number of robberies in New York City is when these RIP units started, the number of robberies was staggering. There's a ballpark about 100, 120,000 robberies a year. Um, that's a lot of violence. That's a lot of victims. Um, when you have, you know what, they wouldn't, I don't, I think if a precinct commander today or, or someone in the detective bureau came out and said, listen, Let's start a, a robbery reduction program. You know, not call it rip or whatever. The social justice warriors would be all over it. They're targeting people who do robberies. I mean, that's the level of insanity we're at now. Um, well, it's just you know, like, you know, they also intend on bringing in these outside agencies to teach New York police officers to train them in things like implicit bias, uh, to train them. I missed that one. No, but they're actually going to do this. Oh, they're doing and it. Someone was championing this on LinkedIn last week, and I ripped into the guy, saying, yeah, you've got to be kidding me with this crap, you know? They had a, a program they instituted a year and a half, two years ago. One day for cops, detectives, sergeants, and it was two days for captains and above. You had to go out to the police academy and listen to some guy you know, from retired from the Colorado State Highway Patrol, <laughs> lecture you about implicit bias in urban policing. Hey, guy, do I tell you about moots? Uh, you know, do me a favor. Hi. Um, they were I hunting hope, me I down. I hope that everyone gave the guy a hard time. I just... Oh, they, I knew some people that went. I told them right out. I said, I'm not going. They're like, well, you have to go. Well, I'm not going. Simple as that. I said, I'm not going out there to listen to this nonsense. And they're like, oh, you're going to get a complaint. I said, a complaint? I got 39 years on the job. How many days do you want? I says, you know what? If we do it again next year, I'll save the days for you to take them from me next year, too. I says, I'm not going to listen to this nonsense. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm done. I'm not listening to this crap. And uh, people were... You know, they were forced to go, and pretty much everybody that came back said yeah, it was like the equivalent of a root canal. Um, well, you know what kills me with this whole thing is that how was it determined nationally, not just in New York City, nationally, 
that police departments needed an overhaul? Why, why was it the field of law enforcement? Why wasn't it the field of government uh, uh, in itself? Like what, for example, why isn't there a commission studying what Congress does or what the Senate does? You know, like to me, they are the most egregious waste of money uh, in this country. Other areas also, you know, medicine, uh, you know, there's other areas, but where did the police just become the target? We're the easiest, this? we're the easiest ones to target. There's 800,000 cops in the United States, the most visible form of government. And, you know, we're not firemen, you know, everybody's happy. Oh, firemen, that's great. Wow. Because you firemen know, put out fires. We don't. <laughs> we don't. And, uh, you know, let's face it, cops aren't coming to tell you that you won lotto. Um, so it's not a always a good relationship. I mean, there are great work, great works done by cops and good things. They don't care. Um, you know, we're the uh, tip of the spear, we're the jackboot of the oppressor. And this is just what, and it's easy to bash. And these mainstream media types, man, they just jump on the bandwagon nonstop and pound away at the cop, pound away at the cops. That's why I'm retired. I'm done. Well, you know, I also, I, like you were touching upon it before, I wonder how they still get cops to conduct stop, question, and frisk in the uh, search of guns. I don't know how they get them to do that, but they are still doing it because the police commissioner said there were more gun collars made in the last three or four months than in the previous years. Yeah, well, what they have now is I think they started like an anti-crime light unit, so to speak. Um, I would not volunteer to do it. I would not let my cops do it. You know, we saw with the vilification going on. Now the job wants you to go back out there because now all of a sudden they realize, Jesus, all these bodies are piling up. Yeah, because everybody's carrying guns. What is wrong with you? This is Pete common froze sense. Up. <laughs> but after going after the cops so hard, now you want to stop this team to go out and down. I wouldn't do it. And you know me. I like running around. I like doing police work. I loved it. I would have to say at this stage of the game, if they came to me, I said, no, I'm not doing this. Because you're putting myself, you're putting my cops in a dangerous position. You're talking about taking guns. Every one of those encounters has a potential for a fatal shootout. And you people, along with the DAs, I mean, we're locking these people up and you them loose. But should a shootout occur, myself, police officers working for me we're going to be vilified wouldn't do it and well just imagine these days too you have uh cops have a body worn video on the left side of their chest they got video cameras all over the place watching them they have street video right they got the public out there watching them like they've never done before and now they want more watch guards more safeguards more people going after them and it's just like, I really feel so bad for the cops that are coming on right now. I'd just like to also add, in the last few months, uh, 2,500 cops retired. And yeah. it's a 25% increase from last year. So what you're going to be left with is a force of mostly people with under 10 years on the job. No which is an senior experience force. Guide them. Yeah, an inexperienced force, a force that doesn't, have the direction of its senior members, which that was the key to the NYPD. The senior guys taught the newer guys. They're losing all of that experience, but yet they don't want the experience. They want 
to have new jacks that they can mold the way Easily they want mold. them molded. Yeah. You know, it's funny with the um, with the body worn cameras. We heard about this for years. Oh, we need body worn cameras. We need body worn cameras. Okay. Everybody gets body worn cameras. Now all of a sudden the world is getting a taste that you know what? People act like animals. They're nasty. They're carrying on. We catch them in their worst moments. Now all of a sudden it's like maybe we need to scale back these body worn. Well, you know cameras. what it is? The body cameras have just shown that the cops are right 95% of the time. Absolutely. I'll yeah. tell you what, it's probably a greater percentage than that. And the, the cops are out there, they're doing their job, they're doing their job properly. And, but now all of a sudden you're seeing in the flesh what these cops are dealing with. Uh, then you have these some of these different groups saying, well, this, these videos shouldn't be released to the public and this and that. No, now you don't like it. Now the shoe is on the other foot and you don't like it. You know what? Too bad. Well, Pete, you know what I, I just wanted to touch upon, too, because to me, it's one of the most egregious decisions that have, has occurred in the last couple of years in policing, and that's the diaphragm law, which I find to be so horrendously outrageous that for our people listening that don't know what it is, it basically, if a cop puts his knee in the back of a suspect during the arrest to get him cuffed, he can actually be arrested and charged with an A misdemeanor if it's perceived that uh, it, it was unnecessary. They can charge him with an assault, too. Here's a little personal story with that one. I retired July 31st. On August 1st, I'm not going to name his name, certain city council member was having a rally out in Brooklyn. So on August 1st, I became a social justice warrior for cops. <laughs> I go out to Brooklyn. I wait till this guy, he's having some kind of like responders, whatever little rally thing. I was breaking this guy's chops on Twitter, something fierce. Uh, there's another retired member of the service who also showed up with me who lives in that city councilman's district who's he's losing his mind dealing with this guy. So I walked up to him and I says, councilman, he goes, hey, hi, how are you? I says, I'm Pete the cop. <laughs> he goes, oh, he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, do me a favor. Says, Let me finish up. He says, don't leave. I want to talk to you. He says, you really been breaking my balls. And I says, yeah, I'm not going to stop either. <laughs> we wound up, and I give the guy credit in that he actually, we spent, myself, the other police, the other retired guy, we spent quite a bit of time talking to him. There's a, another councilman showed up who was always in the middle of all this nonsense with the anti-cop bills being sponsored by the, uh, this lunatic, and you I, I couldn't believe it. He talked for 10 minutes straight without drawing a breath. And the, everything with them is an umbrella situation. You know, we need to address global warming, this and that, blah, 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 and, you know, equality and this. So finally, I said, hey, hey can I get a word in edgewise here? He goes, sure. He says, everything you just said is bullshit. <laughs> I says, listen, I'm not talking, I said, I don't care about smog. I don't care about green this, green that. I says, I don't care. I says, you know what bothers me? I says, I retired yesterday. And I says, right now, I says, bodies are piling up. I says, tonight, some kid is going to get shot in the two-way breach and standing on the corner. This is in Red Hook. 
Some old man's going to be sitting in front of the Red Hook houses drinking a beer. He's going to catch a round. Out in Brownsville, some old lady's going to get shot sitting in the living room. And I says, you know why that's happening? Because of you. Whoa, whoa, me. I says, yeah, you. You and your nonsense. You and this other guy over here. You are the guys that sponsored this bill that are getting people killed. Cops getting killed, cops getting hurt. Innocent civilians getting slaughtered. The only reason why the numbers aren't through the roof right now is because we're still in the midst of the lockdowns. I says, you own that. You and these other clowns on the city council, Corey... Uh, Corey Johnson. Corey Johnson, Eric Adams. I says, so all this crap that you're telling me, I says, it's nonsense. You guys could have said, he goes, well, the police department won't cooperate with us. I says, oh, come on, stop. You guys ran this crap bill through. And he says, as long as that diaphragm section still included in that bill, cops got the message. They're taking a step back. They're not going to put their hands on people. And whether you like it or not, that's the way police work gets done. What do you think? People walking up to me and saying, oh, officer, here's this gun. You can have it. Don't work like that. I said, your head is planted so far up your ass, you cannot see sunlight. At which point, when I got done ranting and raving, Looks at his watch and he says, I have another meeting in 10 minutes. I'll see you. Yeah, he wanted he to talk away. about global warming again, you know. That particular guy, what the funny thing was, is that the first councilman that was there, don't get me wrong, this guy's a hardcore lefty. After the other guy left, he said to me, now do you see what I'm dealing with? He says, was that rational, what he just carried on about? He says, even I get it. And he says, I'm a lefty. I get it. But he says, dealing with him, dealing with Corey Book, uh, not Corey, but Corey uh, Johnson. Corey Johnson. And he said, he says, I'm going to tell you something. And he says, yeah, my name is on the bill. He says, the shenanigans that went on before that bill was signed was incredible. Those changes were made the night before. Well, Pete, I talked to guys who work in the, uh, you know, the busy precincts in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. And what they say is that the community really doesn't want that law. They want the police there to do their job. And anything that comes between the police and doing their job, they're not for. So who are these city council members representing? Uh, they, they I'll represent give you some hints. Park Slope, Bay Ridge. Uh, they're not in neighborhoods where bullets are whipping up and down the street every night either. Um, you know, I would... I, I looked at, I says, I says, I can't believe these people are actually in the city council and are embracing this and pushing this. And it's the usual suspects involved every time, but they're not going to change that law. And I've had one or two conversations with the other guy in particular since then. I'm like, what are we doing here? I says, you know, you got to stop. And then it ties into the bigger, this one particular guy is going to face a serious challenge from his, off of his constituency. His neighborhood flipped over in the last five, 10 years. Half hipster, half old school. And, um, you know, he's pretty much made it clear which side he's standing on now in that time frame. But you know what? People aren't getting shot and murdered in your neighborhood. But these, this is what we're dealing with. And they think this is good government. So, okay. Pete, the overall thing, and I want to touch upon, this will be the last topic we touch upon. I think we've been speaking together for uh, just about an hour right now. So this is about an hour and three minutes. This is going to be the last topic. And the whole reason for this, and just have your feelings upon it, 
is something called decarceration, which stands for basically emptying the jails and the prisons. And that is what the people in charge in New York City and a lot of other places across this country are trying to accomplish. And they will, they will decarcerate, empty these prisons, because they do not care about the everyday John Q. citizen, John Q. taxpayer that's trying to go about his or her life without being accosted, robbed, uh, being someone getting in your face at a Dunkin' Donuts demanding that you give money to them for opening the door for you, or in Citibank or in Chase when you go in to get your money. Homeless people all over the street. This is all from the same politicians. This whole idea, and in New York State, it's coming right from Andy, Andy Boy, the year and a half Manhattan DA who got appointed to some big cabinet job by the Clintons. This guy's never worked a day in his life. That, that's a topic for a whole other conversation. It, it is, but I just I, I don't like that Cuomo gets a pass in regards to New York City. He is responsible for a lot of the crap that's going on in New York City. Well, he was responsible for what happened in HUD in the yeah. early 90s, which led to the subprime meltdown in 2009. That was the handiwork of HUD and Andy Cuomo. That guy is a cancer. He's a pox upon society, this guy. Well, you know, they, they love him in other parts of the country. I, I tell have... him all the time, take him. Take him with you. Take him with you. you. Know, he'll, he'll want to name a bridge after another family member it's on, on arrival, though, you know? Here's the thing, you know, decarceration didn't even exist as a word two, three years ago. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find an old Webster's had it in there. This has become another one of their mantras, like defund the police, defund transit. That's where a lot of this stuff started. And decarceration. And what you, they don't take into account, and that we realize, only because we've dealt with it for decades, there are some bad people in this world, really bad people, that belong in jail. All right? There's not going to be any redemption or rehabilitation for these people you let them back out on the street they're going right back to business and and whatever their business is that got them in jail in the first place it's high in the sky it's nonsense but it's all part of their agenda come on the former woman running for the queen's da spot she was big on that most of these da's in new york city right now are useless they're not really pushing Unless it's like a homicide or whatever, they're doing nothing. This jerking hat is useless. Uh, Vance. I Vance. Yeah. Well, and his father was a big shot in the Carter administration. Yes. Yes. Vance is a carpetbagger. Vance was actually a Seattle guy decades before he came back to. If Robert Morgenthau didn't get so old in his job, okay, and start going by the wayside towards the end there. Younger Robert Morgenthau never would have put Cyrus Vance in as the Manhattan DA. Well, you get this clown who's got his own ethical issues on top of everything else. And, you know, they're, they're, he's maybe is not coming out and saying incarceration. I'm not going to use that word per se. No, but it's actually used in Cuomo's. Uh, oh, I know Cuomo's using it. He's using it to get police departments to go do his whatever 10 or 11 point program. Well, we're going to have police. no choice in that because that program is going to be state mandated. And then you have the New York City Council that's going to take it a couple of steps further. I just, what do they want the cops to do? I, I mean, is, they just, I, I mean, at this point, you should really just really consider leaving. 
and moving on to another field in life, moving on to another agency, uh, somewhere out of this state. We're, we're moving at ludicrous, ludicrous speed into insanity. But Pete, I'm also amazed by the, the bosses that were on the job when we were on the job, that they're not pushing back against this because I guess basically they know that if they do, they'll be shown the door. But at some Absolutely. point, don't you want to leave with your sword and your shield in your hand and not yeah, lying well, you on know the what? battlefield? Listen, we, we've not that many people have gone out to blaze of glory like that. Some guys have, other guys haven't, you know, and they go, some guys just want to be left alone and try and survive in their position to whatever it is they, you know, whatever time they want to stay. I mean, I don't know. If I was the police commissioner, I think I would, I'd rather go down to the blaze of glory and just, Entire it's, it's, somewhat too, it's somewhat too late because uh, the, the damage is done to us. And the Blasio only has like a year left. So how is the police commissioner going to go out in a blaze of glory? Good know? point. Excellent point, actually. The time Let me just give another fixed. shout out to some of our um, live chatters. Uh, Rebecca Hicks, Arwen Hardy, QBear51, Mark DeSimone, QBDUSMC, Always like a, a proud Marine. Uh, and Black Rose. Any of you guys also, please, if you're not subscribers to our YouTube, our YouTube channel, please subscribe. And if you want to get additional content to our Patreon content, our Patreon is uh, www.patreon.com slash police off the cuff. Well, Pete, this has been... Uh, I don't think we solved all the problems of the police department, but we should. No, but we what, what we did was we've identified some of the problems. We've opened, opened up to people's eyes to some of the back issues that's going on with this stuff. People really need to pay attention to what's going on. Not so much what's in the paper, but take a look at what's behind it. Well, um, one of the things also I talk to people that live in Manhattan now, and they're really um, afraid of all the homeless and mentally ill people living on the street now. My neighborhood's loaded with them. Yeah. You know, and that's uh, that's a scary thing, you know. Right now, it's about 139 hotels. I'm talking major hotels, are filled filled with people that are homeless and/or slash COVID compromised or whatever. These are midtown hotels. That you know what? These guys, are, people are owners. Like, listen, I got to make a buck somehow. 140 hotels, and the mayor said that oh, we're only spending three million dollars a day on these hotels. That is completely. No, no way. But what happens is you have a, a concentration now. So like in my neighborhood, there's a lot. And uh, you know, I go out at night, I keep my head on a swivel. Uh they're out there. And you know, it's not even so much the regular homeless people in my neighborhood. I know them. I don't talk to them. You got these people that are walking through now that are outright bed bugs that you don't know, don't know you, take your head off. You know, you give them a side look. They want to brawl with you. It, it's scary. Yeah, that's too bad. But you know, the the big thing is too is the people that left this city may never come back, and especially and they're the life's blood. They're the taxpayers, and they Billy, may never come back to the city. I, I don't understand. You know, people say, "Oh, well, we're gonna have a vaccine, this and that." You look over at Hudson Yards. That place is vacant. That's some of the most prime real estate in New York City. There are companies and there are big companies that, you know what? It's not working. 
We're getting our work done. We're still making our money with people doing working from home. Who needs it? So I think a good chunk of that stuff is not going to come back, and it's going to kill. Well, the restaurants are killed here anyway now. It, it, yeah. You know, barely hanging on. So I I don't know if a, a vaccine is going to help or a resurgence. This could be years. I don't well, know. know. It took ten years to recover from nine eleven, and I think this. Uh, pandemic has been much more devastating than 9-11. So, you know, do the numbers. In, in a different way. In a different way, it's, it's extremely devastating. Um, you know, I'm sitting here in Midtown. I'm in between, you know, I'm right by the tunnel. You hear any horns honking? No. We're in rush hour. And it's that quiet over here. It, it, it's insane. It is insane. It's not the New York City that, it, that it, we it, know. Meanwhile, Cuomo will graciously allow restaurants to go back. You can have 25% in your restaurant. I'm like, oh, man. Uh, it's These restaurants, most of them are closed now. They're it, barely one of our favorites, on. Coogan's, never to be opened again. Never to be open again. The you best know. cop bar in the city, you know. But it's okay. So let's build outside shelters where you can eat inside while you're outside. I'm like, it's crazy. I love when Cuomo says, oh, we looked at the science. We looked at the numbers. He's so obnoxious the way he talks. And I said, I've looked at the science and I've looked at the numbers too. And crime's going up because of decarceration. So let's look at the numbers of the people that died nursing homes. They only care about the, the numbers and the science when it, backs up their ideology otherwise they don't care about the numbers they don't care about the science you know <laughs> he learned one thing from his father and that was to speak slowly yeah. like he actually has some like a, a tread of intelligence his father was actually a pretty sharp guy um he was quick yeah. and not a fan i'm saying he was good this yeah i was never a fan of uh, yeah i'm not a fan most. of him but uh junior here speak slowly and uh, go with the science and people yeah. think you're intelligent you're not you're, you're, you're just another political hack yeah and you, Pete, you know what just as long as we're, we're ranting here i cannot believe that retired police officers that were 9 11 first responders weren't pushed to the front of the list for this vaccine it's like it's like we don't even exist we're old news. We're 20 years past what's going on. And, um, you know, it's great that, you know, that they were going to give it to some serial killer in jail or whatever it was, you know. <laughs> All right. You know, let's make sure the Guantanamo Bay people have it, you know. They, well, actually, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, that was the one I was thinking about. It's yeah. great that this guy is going to get his vaccine. Yeah. Uh, Pete Panuccio, a guy that was crapping out concrete for three days after 9-11, you know, uh, no, sorry, you got to be 65, and uh, that's it. Never mind the fact that out of the thousands of 9-11 responders, cops, firemen, construction workers, every one of them is at a predisposition now to some type of, some of them, as, as you well know, and I know, some have died, some are sick. Every one of those people is predisposed now to some type of you know, uh, deadly illness. Other disease, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Who are you guys? Uh, what? 9-11? In fact, they tried to disallow them from celebrating 
last year, not celebrating, but memorializing yeah, downtown with the lights. And the, that group is way too powerful for Andy Boy. And, and uh, Andy Boy got absolutely shredded with that when he, he did. started that. I'd like to see him get shredded with other things that he does that are ridiculous. What was great about that, though, is the various unions, because he says, oh, it's going to take 80 workers, two weeks, this and that. And these guys step right up to the bat, the electricians, the construction guys. He says, we'll get that thing up in a day. And it'll be done. And it'll be done by volunteers. We're not looking for money. And Andy, I think Andy realized, yeah, as did Blasio, they're like, ooh, man. We really touched the soil nerve. This, this was an unwinnable war. That's right, right? Yeah, that could have been bad. And uh, they need that every now and then. He needs it more than every now and then. Anyway, we, we better start signing off here, Pete. You got any last words? No, just hope everybody's doing well out there and uh, getting through this. I, you know, it's it's. I know a lot of people, we, we've had a few people pass away recently. Uh, retired police officers from the 19th, Tony Maggio passed away Jan, uh, January 28th. May from he rest in peace. Um, the stuff is out there, you know, but we need to be careful. Put your mask on, wash your hands, do what you got to do. But you also need to keep living your life and keep moving forward. Um, you know, these are tough times. It's just, this is like a weird, I don't know. I just don't know. I never thought, you know, we would be in this type of world that we're in today. But, uh, you know, we'll make it through there eventually. We'll make I it hope through. so. Anyway, Pete, thank you so much for being a guest. Thank I'm, you, sir. I'm Bill Cannon from Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories, and uh, thank you guys uh, for listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, Pete. Be good, Bill.